Hey, Redeem family, I'm going to ask you today to put that hyperspeed mind on today because we are going to jump into Romans 6 and we're going to cover a ton today. And I'm so excited to dig into God's word and see what he has for you and for me. But today, you know, these are trying times. And so today we're going to talk about a very important topic and it's so important for today's world you know we're facing the possibility of war that spills into even more of europe we see rising inflation we see brokenness all around us we see the remnant of god's church in the west and we might be at a place where like god what are you trying to do and today i believe that he has a word specifically for us and today we're going to talk about identity now, this is a hot topic in today's world, and we are not going to get into sexual identity or gender identity or anything like that. But today, I believe that Paul is going to be talking to us as believers, and he's going to say, this is about our identity as believers. And I think it's going to bring a lot of clarity to how do we live in this world as believers. And so as we dig into Romans 6, we are going to be looking at what Paul says about identity. And I believe that Paul shares one of the most important facts about ourselves in these passages. He shares one of the most important facts about humanity, about us, about you and about me, about believers that we have to believe about ourselves to get this faith walk Right. And so today we are going to talk about it. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about in Romans 4, if you remember, we talked about how everything flows out of our faith. And so as we continue this series called Finding Freedom, we understand that we all desire freedom. And what we're going to see is as the world gets tougher, as it gets more anxious, as worry kind of rises up within us, we desire freedom. And in our innermost being, God desires freedom for us as well. And it's as important now as ever. And today we are going to talk about how freedom flows out of our identity. And this is so important for us because today, in today's world, we need to be non-anxious presence. We need to come into the world without worrying and we need to come in with freedom so that we can fully live the way that God intended us to be. So when I was thinking about identity, I was thinking about my high school years. I want you to place yourself in your high school shoes. I want you to go back to the high school years. I am actually up for my 20th high school reunion, which seems crazy, as I'm sure everyone always feels when you get to the 20-year mark of your high school reunion. But it made me think about myself in high school. And I went through so many different identities. Uh, I went through this like preppy stage. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm a child of the 90s. And so I was went to the preppy stage and I had the pop collar. I had the puka shell neck, neck necklace. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. And then I went through this weird like skater stage. Now keep in mind, I grew up in the cornfields of Indiana and I was wearing like DC clothes and I was thinking that I was the going to be a skater, even though I never even learned how to ollie. And then that transitioned into this like weird punk stage where I, I rocked the faux, the faux hawk. I was listening to punk music. I was had my pierced ears. Matter of fact, 
Little known fact about Kurt, small town Indiana, I was in a band called Bid Farewell. We were a punk band, and thank God that the internet didn't exist really back then because none of our music's on Spotify, and I'm sure it was terrible, although at the time I thought we were going to make it big. Now, I also then went and I transitioned there to some hippie stage. I don't know if any of you grew up in the hippie era. I thought the hippie thing, I didn't shower, I didn't wear shoes, and I just think about what my mom must have thought about me. And she's probably glad that I turned out the way at least halfway decent based on my high school years. But identity and searching for identity from 14 to like 18 is such a wild ride for each one of us. But some of us are still trying to find our identity now. And it holds us back from the true identity of what God wants us to be. And so maybe it's that you're in a relationship or not in a relationship. Maybe it's that you find yourself striving to be the best husband or wife that you can be. Or or maybe it's that you're single and, and maybe you're you find your identity in that. Maybe it's playing the field or maybe it's like this deep desire to that in and this this fear that you will never be in a relationship. You know, for us that are parents, maybe we find our identity in that and, and being a good mother or a good father. And we, we find ourselves finding our identity on how well our kids do in school or how well they do in sports. Or maybe it's your class or your gender or your race, or maybe it's the political party. So many of us identify as in our political parties now, but God desires so much more for us. And so now we find ourselves in Romans. And like we talked about, we were in the courtroom. And God was saying, hey, there is a wrath and you will be judged. And he moves us into the family room. And we find ourselves in the family room right now as we look at that, as we continue our journey. And as we talk about this thing in Romans, uh, in Romans, we see that Paul is going to remind us that our identity is all about these two words, in and with. And so let's dig in. Now, Paul is going is gonna to ask two important questions in Romans 6. And the first one is Romans 6.1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know, under this first question, he's going to make the argument that, of course, we don't keep on sinning because we have to understand that our identity is in and with. But of course, whenever you see a question, you got to go back and say, okay, what question is he answering, right? And so we got to go back and we got to say, okay, the first question is, what shall we say then? We have to go back and look at what Paul said before. And so Paul has been setting up this letter. And in Romans 1 and 5, we, and we talk about this all the time. He's saying, we are all sinful. We all fall short. We are not justified by our works. But instead, our faith makes us righteous. And so now, as we see this question in 6.1, we go back to Romans 5. And I'm going to read the second half of Romans 5. Eddie did an awesome job on the first part of Romans 5. I encourage you, if you have not watched that, to go watch it because Eddie was straight fire last week. But hey, the second part of Romans 5 is so important for us to understand. You know, in Romans 4, if you remember... Paul brought up two kind of heroes of the faith, right? He brought up Abraham and he brought up David. And now he's going to bring up Adam. And so he's got it all covered as far as the Hebrew text. I mean, he's, he's really digging it deep for us. And so he's going to bring up Adam. He's going to say, this is the first human and the first biblical character. And from that, so much happened. And so we're going to look at this. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, 
And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Adam's name can be translated as humanity, right? Adam, like all of us, chose selfishness and chose sin. And so all of us now face God's judgment because we've become slaves to sin, influence, sin's influence, and it leads to death. And so now as we jump into uh, verse 15, we're going to see that Paul is now going to bring in Jesus and he's going to be calling him this new Adam. He's one that, that lives in faithful obedience to God rather than against God. And we see this, that Jesus is offering his life as a sacrificial gift. And Paul's going to say that Jesus stands there and now he's the head of this new humanity. So verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, Paul is going to list a couple important contrasts between Adam, humanity, who we can relate to, and Jesus, the new Adam. You know, their motivations are clearly different. Adam's deeds were selfish as he was choosing trespassing and, 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 and he became conscious of his sin, where Jesus' acts were self-sacrificing, right? We know that. And the results of these lives were completely opposite. Adam's, of course, led to death while Christ resulted in life. Now, when we say Adam's life resulted in death, there's really two deaths that it's saying here. The, the first death, of course, is, is physical death. God set it up for Adam to, to stay in the garden, to live forever in relationship with him. He was amongst Adam, but sin came in, and so physical death became a reality. Choosing sin became a termination of life, but his deeds also led to another kind of death, and that death is condemnation, shame, and guilt. And so what we see is that that's the life that Adam, because of the one act it led to, and it was really two deaths, physical deaths and condemnation, shame, and guilt. But Christ's life, Christ, he reigns in life. And in Christ, there is no condemnation, but rather justification through faith. It says it right here. Paul is saying that the results of just one trespass was condemnation, but the results of just one act was justification. And this disobedience of one man led many led to many sinners. That's all of us 
but through the obedience of one man, all who believe will be made righteous. We're in right standing with God because of the act of Jesus Christ. Even though Adam was told that he would enjoy blessings, uh, that if he just obeyed God, he ultimately chose to disobey. But Jesus, the second Adam, he would face a painful death, and yet he obeyed and walked in obedience even to the cross. And so we see this. The power of sin is so strong. Adam is in the perfect garden, in relationship with God, and yet sin is so tempting that he risks all that he has for this. And have you ever had that? Have you ever been in a season of your life where you're like, man, things are going so good. My relationship with God is so good. And yet sin still creeps into your life. And it's like, what is going on? Many of us can relate. We've been in this great place, but we're still find ourselves in this sin. And yet Jesus, who's this perfection, who was experiencing perfection in heaven, chose to come down to a non-perfect world, as we like to call it, planet crazy, and comes down to earth. He has no place to lay his head, says it in the gospel, and yet he then dies a torturous death. And the comparison is this. They're doing the opposite thing. And it's he's building up why Jesus and this new humanity is so important for us to understand. This He died for all of us. And if this doesn't lead you to amen and hallelujah, I do not know what will because it's the foundations of our faith. And so let's read further. Verse 20 and 21 are so powerful for us to remember. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this line feeds into the first question of chapter 6. Paul is saying, yes, it's true that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That is a true fact of life. It's an amazing gift. It's awesome. But remember, he answers that first question with by no means. Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? By no means. Now, it's crucial for us to understand that the next phrase after that is we died to sin. So let's look at that. By no means, we are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What Paul is saying here is that he's saying, ultimately, the moment you become a Christian, you are no longer under the ruling power of sin. And remember, from the first sermon in Romans, Romans 1, 18 through 32, it's all about this. It has that long list of sins. And if we choose to live outside of Christ, what does it say? It says that we are given over to our sinful desires. But in chapter 5, verse 21, remember Paul wrote that sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring what? 
to bring eternal life. And we see for us here that sin has no power, has power, or sorry, we see here that sin still has power, but it can no longer dictate us. And that's what we're finding here. So we die to sin, but that doesn't mean that sin is no longer within us or that it can't influence us. But we see this, that there is a new power, and that is what's dictating us, and that we see that it's so important to our identity. We see it here, that our identity is in and with Christ. We have to understand this. It says that we were baptized into Christ, and we were baptized into his death. Now, the Greek word here for baptism, it, it means to be submerged, right? But of course, it gives us this image of being dunked or, or being drowned or being sunk, right? And, and it, so baptism is this symbol of death. We, we, we believe when it gets dunked in, that's a symbol that we are actually dying to ourselves. And, we're, and it is so important for us to understand that when we believe, it says right here in the Romans, that we are now united to Christ. We are actually in Christ. So whatever is true of Christ is true of us. Since Christ died and dead people are free of sin, we too are free of sin. But our union doesn't stop at death. We see it. It says that we were buried with him and then Christ is resurrected, who, which leads to what? New life. So like baptism, like we go under and that we're... <laughs> that we're in him in the baptism as we get raised we get resurrection it is into new life and so in the same way our union with christ will and must lead to new life since all of this is true about jesus it's true about us it's true about you and me we are raised to new life and we are now living that new life if you believe you are in the new life. No matter how hard things get, no matter how much uncertainty there is out there, no matter how many trials you're going to face, and you are going to face trials, we need a lot more new living than old living in our lives. Can I get an amen on that? Our identity is this. We are in Christ and we are with Christ. And with that, we live a life of new life. And we, do, we are living out our new life if we are out of gratefulness to Christ for what he has done in our lives. So my question, how are you in living in that identity? Uh, not old life, Kurt. Not old life, Meg. Not old life, Eddie. Not old life, Dana. Not old life, Liz. Not old life, you. But it's new life. That's our identity. It's so important that we understand this because the fact that our that that is ourself, our identity. It's one of the most important facts about ourselves as believers that we can understand. We are not the old self, but we are a new life. And so let's dig in deeper. Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Our old self was crucified with him. What does that mean? Crucified simply means it's killed. 
It's gone. Paul is saying that our old self was killed. Our old self is dead and gone. Our old self, our old ego, our old way of thinking, our old selfishness, our old wandering, fill in the blank, our old whatever. It's gone. It died and anyone who has died has been freed of sin. And so sin may re- may remain, right? We know that like sin remains and there might have a, a lot of strength. There might be a lot of temptation that still happens. But can you all agree that we need a lot more people with the old life gone and new life people? This is our identity. So for us, when we sin, we have to understand that we are working against our identity. When we sin, we are working against our identity. It's working against our new life. So when we sin, it's because we aren't fully realizing who we are now. And we aren't, when we're forgetting that we died with Christ and we have been resurrected with him and the old self is gone. And now we simply have the new life. When we fully live, when we fully live like this, we now live in the new life. And when we fully live like this, we are united in his death. And we fully live like this, we are united with him in his resurrection. And this, this will change your life. This will change your families. This will change your relationships with others. This will change your relationship with your husbands and your wife. This will, husband and wife. This will be change your relationship with your kids. This will change your relationship with your work. This will change your relationship with the church. This will change your relationship with everything. And we are set free from sin. Now, freedom. Think about this. I want you to put your place, and for this next section, I want you to put yourself in a place where you think about the freest you could ever be. For Meg and I, it's really simple. Uh, for Meg, it'd be out in the Olympic Mountains. For me, it'd be at Mount Rainier. Those are our two things. That's our that's our biggest disagreement as a in a marriage is: do we want to hike at Mount Rainier or do we want to hike on the Olympic Peninsula? Both good options, by the way. But we would be free. It would be a sunny day, running through the fields and open and the mountains all around us. One hundred percent. That would be for Meg and I. And, and so think about what freedom, like what image, I mean, it's just, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just come with an image of what you in complete freedom would look like. And I want you to think about that because we are set free from sin. You know, uh, Liz just did a drop five and she did it on Romans five. And she talked about the importance of peace with God. And she brought up this great example. She was in the army and she was uh, under in a, in a time of peace, but then also in a time of conflict. And she was saying, it's amazing how much different being the same job felt in, in a level of peace and a level of conflict. And so the importance of us being in peace with God and the importance of us being freed from sin, it's huge. So let's keep reading. Let's see what some of the keys to burying this old life are. So Romans 6, 8 through 14. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive in God, to, or alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What are some signs of us being dead to sin? Obviously, sin is still present. Sin can still be a temptation. Sin is still available to us as a viable option in our lives. So how are we to live and understand this? Well, first, we no longer tolerate it. You know, as Christians, we may sin, but sin should grieve us and should actually repulse us. The grief, this grief and our attitude towards sin shows that sin no longer has dominion over us. You know, when I was thinking about this, I, uh, if anybody pukes around me, I, I am repulsed and I will start puking. Like if, if, if someone started puking at church and I was preaching, I would just walk straight off the stage and straight out the back. I always tell Meg, if, if one of the kids pukes, like I'm literally considering putting our house for sale and just, it's over. I, I can't be around it. I can't smell it. I can't hear it. I can't see it. I have the weakest system, but it literally repulses me. And, and I know that's funny, but in some ways, that's how we should respond to sin. We should be like, it should be like Kurt watching someone puke. It's like, I can't even be around it. It repulses me. And so that even though we choose sin sometimes, it's this repentance, repentant heart that we have to have. So that brings us to the second point. We don't progress in it. Paul is saying that Christians can no longer, without repentance, practice sin. We do not necessarily, as an American church, have a culture of repentance. Simply turning our, away from it, asking for forgiveness and turning away from sin. It's, it's that simple. We don't progress it when we don't give it power, when we repent and turn away from it. Even when we come to temptation, simply repent and turn away from it. And when we sin, we just can't remain there permanently. Paul's not saying that Christians don't, uh, don't commit sin any longer. And he's not saying that we don't struggle with habitual sins, but it's the repentant heart. He's saying we cannot keep abiding in the realm of sin. We killed the old self. We now live in, we no longer live in it and we now live with the new self and we no longer let sin reign over us. We do not have to live in sin any longer because we're alive in Christ and we live in this gratitude to the sacrifice of Christ, that Christ made. And we can't make this mistake. We, we can't just keep, just sit here in this new life and be like, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Because he gives us some keys to, to living that repentant life. And it's actually what he's going to say is it's, it's what we do, right? So we look at verse 13. It's about what we do too. Paul encourages us to do two things in this new life. We, one, we offer ourselves to God to live with and for him. And we, we also see this, that we offer the every part of our body, all the members of our body to him as what? An instrument of righteousness. So not only do we turn away from sin, not only do we does sin repulse us, not only do we repent of it when it happens, but we also fill it with something. And that's to give ourselves and offer ourselves in every part of our body as an instrument of righteousness. Just like opposing sin is a mark of the new life, 
we also see that offering ourselves and letting God's kingdom reign in our lives is as important to this new life. And that's every part of our being, every part of our being. And so now this takes us to the next part. And this is the second question. And it's Romans 6, 15 through 18. And Paul is going to give us a question to think on now. He's going to say, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, the answer, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to, to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that through you, that, that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Skip down to verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefits you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you read this, you have to understand when you were saved, it doesn't mean that you are free from having a master. Very important for us to understand. It's clear that in this world, you have two paths. You can either be a slave to sin or a servant of God. And here's the truth. You can't be neither and you can't be both. Think about that. You can't be neither and you can't be both. Everyone is a slave to something. It says it here. We all sacrifice our lives to something, you know, but sin leads to death and a servant of God leads to what? Being a servant to God leads to new life. Sin to death, servant of God to new life. When someone says that they, they don't want to be a Christian because they want to be free, it's very interesting that they would say that because no matter what, it might feel a slice of of kind of freedom, but ultimately it leads to destruction and death. And many of us, before we were saved, we can understand that. Many of us might have people in our lives that you can see it. They feel freedom, but man, you see destruction and death coming their ways. You might feel free in a small sense, but in every other way, they become slaves to their sin. If we choose not to obey God's law, we see we become slaves to lust and bitterness and pride and selfishness and ego and materialism and just the list goes on and on. It leads to death because we start seeking things that are not of God, but instead we become a servant of God. It's the complete contrast. Verse 22, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. When we live this new life, when we are a bunch of new people living out this new life, think about that. When we offer ourselves as a servant, when we find our identity as a servant of, G of God, this, this is where our obedience grows and the church starts looking a lot more like God intended it to be. And so does the fruit of the Spirit. So important for us to say, we become a church of a bunch of dead old stuff, self people and a bunch of new life people. And we see that it's full of love, that's full of peace, that's full of joy, 
That's that's full of gentleness. That's full of self-control. That's full of kindness. This is what living free looks like. And the world, as crazy as it is, as we don't know what tomorrow will bring, we need more free people. And God desires you to be free. And it all starts with identity. And church, I want to say this. I know this. Identity is a hot topic. And I want it to be a hot topic in our church as well. Because I want us to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we a bunch of new life people? Are we a bunch of new life people that are repulsed by sin, that are turning our backs on sin, but we're living into this new life and we look a lot more like the fruits of the Spirit and we look a lot more like God always intended us to be. And I know that everyone, this is not a time of huddling together and being scared and sitting in the corner, but it's more about living the new life, living in freedom and people are going to be like, whoa, what is happening? This person is living completely free. Think of that image that you had in your head of what complete freedom looks like. And you know this. Now, a lot of things are going to go on and plan it crazy. I think about the next sermon in four weeks, three weeks, two weeks, one week. What will it be? What will go on in the world? It feels like that. But this truth is always true. We die to our old self. We are a new creation in Christ. We have the new life living. That's what we want to do. We have to remember that this is our identity. We have to remember that our old self is dead and the new life is alive. We have to stop chasing identity of other things. We have to turn away from our selfishness. We have to turn away from our lust. We have to turn away from our gossip. We have to turn away from our pride. We have to turn away from our materialism. We have to turn away from our worry and our anxiety and our fear. We have to remember that our old self was buried in Christ. And we have to remember that we were raised with Christ into new life. We are in and with. That is our identity. We're in Christ and we are with Christ. And remember that this is where we start moving and grooving and fully living into a new life church. And that's what we desire. And so that's my prayer for you. But my prayer is also this. If you do not yet believe and you listen to this, I'm telling you, it changes everything. Maybe you're heading down that path of sin and destruction and it feels like freedom, but you're starting to wake up and you're starting to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Where is my life heading and what am I doing? But I'm telling you, it's a free gift. Like we talked about, like one man's choice in Adam, Jesus's choice to die on the cross is a complete free gift for you and for I and for everyone who believes. So if you don't yet believe and you're watching this, I want to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to give your life to Jesus Christ, but I want you to not hide behind the camera. I want you to write us at info at redeem.church and I want us to follow up with you. And I want to say, I want you to say, I gave my life to Christ. What's next? Because we do this together as a church. And for those of us who've been, who've been, um, Uh, believers for a long time and you're like man i miss that new life way of living from when i was first saved i'm gonna pray for us too for you too because i desire i think god desires each of us to remember that our identity is this you are a new creation in christ and remember that whether you were saved a year ago or 30 years ago that that new life is still the way that we are meant to live so let us pray heavenly father i'm so thankful that you died on the cross for us. And for those that don't yet believe, 
I pray that they would pray and they would just say, Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I give my life over to you. I believe that you are the one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And that with that, my old self is dead and I now have new life in you. And Heavenly Father, for us that have believed for a variety of many years, Lord, will you remind us what this new life living looks like? Lord, will you remind us that we are both in and with Christ and that changes everything in our identity. And Lord, will you help us to remember that it's simply being an instrument of your righteousness here on earth. Will you help us to remember and will you give us clarity for each one of my brothers and sisters that's watching right now. Will you help us to remember what it means to live into that identity? We love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to make sure that you spend time on our events page. we got so much exciting stuff happening at Redeem. It's going to be a busy March and April. But we have work parties, but we also have men's breakfast. We have women's night. We have a Passover meal. We have Compassion Connect on ways that you can reach your community. So go to redeem.church slash events. Make sure that you know all that's happening. And let's get back together as a church. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week.